let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37 this morning, and we'll read from verse 1 as we begin. Genesis 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here again this morning. We thank you so much, Lord, for <clears throat> your love and your grace uh, to us. We thank you uh, for your son and the salvation that's ours through him. And Lord, we pray that today as we gather in your word, that you would uh, refresh us, that you would uh, teach us, uh, instruct us through your word today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower me now through the spirit and give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts. And that, Lord, today uh, you would receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last Sunday, of course, we started looking at chapter 37. And we said that it's the beginning of the, the final major section of the book of Genesis. And this final section, of course, as we said last week, is a, a history of Jacob's family. And in particular, the the focus is upon Joseph. Okay, that's the primary focus, but it's a, a selected history of Jacob's family. And as this section begins, uh, we see Joseph introduced to us as a young 17-year-old, and we immediately learn, immediately sorry, learn something about his godly character, the, the godly character that will shape so much of his life. And indeed, the thing that would make him someone that God could use mightily to his glory. And we saw that godly character revealed uh, as he was out in the field, keeping his father's sheep there in verse 2. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil reports. And so we saw that this phrase here, feeding uh, the flock, uh, speaks of the fact that he was the shepherd. Okay? His father had obviously seen something in him, had obviously seen that he was capable of leading and recognized that leadership ability, and so he placed him in authority <clears throat> in the field. He was the shepherd over the flock, even though he was younger than the four brothers that he was with, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. And as Joseph was in the field with his brothers, uh, we saw last week that he witnessed them engaged in wickedness, engaged in sin, and um, he brought home unto their father their evil report there at the end of verse 2. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. As we said last week, we don't know exactly what uh, this report contained, uh, but you know, looking at the book of Genesis as a whole, we, 
we imagine it contained all sorts of evil things because the, the brothers were indeed evil. They were wicked. They murdered others. They committed incest. There was uh, lying, cheating, stealing, all sorts of things going on. And so he brought home this evil report. And as we saw last week, this doesn't mark Joseph as being a talebearer, but rather it demonstrates for us his zeal for righteousness. His godly character is revealed to us here as he, he couldn't remain silent as he witnessed his brothers engaging in this sin. He felt a responsibility to speak out, a responsibility to his father and a responsibility to God to speak out against this sin. And so he went home and he spoke to the one person who needed to know, his father, uh, telling, them, telling him what his brothers were up to. And as we continue now in the passage this morning, we see that immediately after we are given this glimpse of Joseph's godly character, immediately after this, we're now told of his favorable position. We see there in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And so immediately after we're given this glimpse of his godly character, Joseph brought home unto his father the evil report. Immediately after that, we're told, Now Israel loved Joseph more then all his children were told of his favorable position. The scriptures are very clear, aren't they? Jacob loved Joseph. He showed preference to Joseph above his other children. And immediately we wonder why. That's the question here, isn't it? Why does Jacob show preference to Joseph? You know, is it simply because he is Rachel's son? You know, the first son born to Rachel, his beloved wife. Is that the reason for this preference? Or is there more to it? And this morning, I want us to take some time to consider Jacob's preference of Joseph. Exactly what causes it and why he gives him this preference. So let's consider, first of all, this morning, the cause of the preference. The cause of the preference. Look there in verse 3. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Now the text here states the reason for us. It states that the reason for his love, the, the reason for this preference of Joseph, it says was because he was the son of his old age. You know, as we read that verse, you know, we read now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. When we read that verse, the immediate impression we get, the immediate perception we get is that Jacob favored Joseph, loved him more simply because he was the youngest of his children. You know, that he was the one born when he was old. You know, he was the born... Uh, sorry, the child born to the wife he loved most when he was old, and therefore he cherished him above his other children. That's the immediate perception, isn't it? That's the immediate understanding that we get as we read that verse, and indeed that's how we most often hear the story taught. And because of this perception, you know, Jacob is then criticized for his parenting. Now, indeed, if Jacob is playing favorites here because of this foolish reason, now, playing favorites, loving Joseph, showing a preference simply because he is uh, the son of his old age, the son born to Rachel when he was old, then Jacob is worthy of criticism, isn't he? If that's the reason for his preference, then that is poor parenting indeed. And he is therefore at fault for everything and to blame for everything that follows, isn't he? 
Okay, he's, he's to blame for everything that takes place after this. He's the root cause of it. But you see, a more in-depth study of the passage, and I believe this, and if you don't want to agree with me, that's fine, but a more in-depth study of the passage makes it clear that this first immediate impression that we so often get is incorrect. And that the criticism that's leveled at Jacob is unjustified. You see, before anything else, before I, we look at the words that are actually used here and understand what they mean, before we even get to that, let's just think about it logically. Okay? If you just think about it logically, you understand it can't mean this. Because if this is what it's saying, that he is the, the, the son that he loves because he's born when he's old, well, Joseph's not the youngest, is he? So that doesn't even make sense. Benjamin has been born. Benjamin is the, by far the youngest. Benjamin is the son of his old age. Okay, if that's what it means. He is the one that should receive this title. He is the one that should receive this preference. If that is indeed what it's talking about. And also we need to remember that the first 11 sons, okay, Joseph is the youngest of the first 11. Those first 11 sons were all born within the space of seven years. Okay, that's second seven years of service. That's when they were all born. And so that means that they're all very close in age, aren't they? Okay, Joseph's older brother is 24, he's 17. They're very close in age. Some of them would have been born very close to Joseph. Okay, their, their mothers were probably pregnant at the same time. And so again, when you, when you think about it logically, it can't be saying that the reason he loves Joseph is because he was born when he was old. It can't be saying that. And so Jacob's preferential love here for Joseph is founded upon something much deeper. And it's found in understanding the meaning of the words because he was the son of his old age. That's where we, we come up with the problem. We don't understand those words. You see, this phrase, the son of his old age, does not refer to how old Jacob was when Joseph was born. Rather, it's a reference to the maturity of Joseph. It refers to how mature Joseph was in his behavior. Now, the commentator Jamison writes this, literally rendered, it is son of old age to him. It's a Hebrew phrase for a wise son, one who possessed observation and wisdom above his years, an old head on young shoulders. Another commentator writes this, the ancient transla translations, Chaldee, Persian, Arabic, and Samaritan, render the words thus, a wise or prudent son. Old age of, uh, being oft mentioned as a token of prudence. One born old, one wise above his years, one that had a gray head, as we say, upon green shoulders. You see, the point is, rather than speaking about a foolish, unfounded love, simply because Joseph was last born of those first 11 sons, and to his favorite wife, this phrase instead speaks of a love for Joseph, a preference for Joseph because of his wisdom and maturity. Now what it really says is, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a wise, prudent son. That's what this statement is saying. That's the, the foundation of this preference. And you know, we've already seen that wisdom and maturity, haven't we? We've already seen that wisdom and maturity clearly evidenced in his godly character there in verse 
2. As he couldn't remain silent as he witnessed his brothers in sin and wickedness and felt he had to speak out about it, it brought home that evil report there in verse 2. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil reports. In that we already see his godly character and we already see revealed his godly wisdom. You know, Proverbs 9 verse 10, we know it well. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts, isn't it? With a fear of God, a reverence for the Lord. And it's clear that Joseph feared the Lord because he hated evil. You know, Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You see, Joseph feared God. We see it in his hatred of evil there in verse 2. And it reveals to us his godly wisdom. He hated evil, demonstrating his fear of God, and that was the beginning of his wisdom. You see, that's what his father saw in him. That's why his father put him in charge of the flock too, isn't it? He saw this wisdom. He saw that his son was a prudent son. This is what his father saw in him. This was what made him someone his father loved and showed preference to. You see, Joseph was different, wasn't he? Joseph stood out amongst his other brothers. Okay, Benjamin's only baby, but compared to the other ten brothers, Joseph stands out. He's different. Joseph was a man that his father could be proud of. He was a man who feared the Lord and was spiritually mature or wise. You know, when we understand that this is the motive behind Jacob's preference, love for Joseph. We see that this love of Joseph is noble rather than foolish, don't we? You see how it changes the whole understanding? All of a sudden, this preference is noble rather than foolish, rather than being unfounded. Butler writes this, having character motivate your love is noble. We ought to love purity. We ought to love holiness. There should be much preference in our love for character. It's true. We ought to love godly character. Why? Because God loves godly character, doesn't he? You see, we ought to love godly character. The prophet Amos declares in Amos 5 verse 15, he says that we are to hate the evil and love the good. Hate the evil, love the good. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. You see, we are to hate evil and we are to love that which is good, that which is holy, that which is upright, that which honors God, and that includes godly character. Romans 12 verse 9 states the same truth. Let's just turn there. We'll read that one. Romans 12. <clears throat> Romans 12 verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Same truth again. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. God's word is very clear, isn't it? Love that which is good, hate evil, hate sin, hate wickedness. Now, of course, we understand that we are still to love those in sin. We love the sinner but we hate their actions, don't we? We hate the sin. And we can be sure the same was true with Jacob, wasn't it? 
Jacob loved all of his sons. Okay, he loved all of his sons, but he hated their actions, didn't he? Okay, he hated that his sons had gone to Shechem and murdered them and then pillaged the city. He hated that Reuben had gone in and slept with his concubine. He hated the evil wicked report coming back and hearing what his sons were up to. He loved his sons, but he hated their sin. He hated their wickedness. You see, on the other hand, Joseph is a godly, wise son, and it means that Jacob could love Joseph's actions as well as his son. Does that make sense? He could love his son, not just because he's his son, but also because of his godly character. That's the difference here, isn't it, between the sons. Okay, He loves all his children, but some of them are a disappointment to him. Their sin, their wickedness, causes him great pain. Joseph, on the other hand, is someone he can be proud of. Joseph is a son who reflects godly wisdom, godly maturity. He is the son of his old age, a wise son. You see, this is the reason for his preference of Joseph. And that brings us now, secondly, to the coat, or if you like, the sign of the preference. Let's go back there, Genesis 37. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis 37, verse 3, says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. So we discussed the reason behind his father's preference. And now we turn our attention to the coat or the sign of that preference, the, the coat that his father made for him. This special coat was a visible sign of Jacob's preference of Joseph above his other children. And the coat is described for us here in the verse. It says that it's a coat of many colors. A coat of many colors, and it's from this translation that, you know, we often see Joseph pictured wearing a bright, multicolored coat or robe. Now, this is how he's pictured in children's Bible story books, isn't he? This is how he's pictured in your Sunday school lessons. This is how we always see him and we visualize him, wearing this funny, striped, multicolored coat. But you see, this is not actually what the meaning of the words in the Hebrew suggest. In the Hebrew, this phrase is made up of just two words, the word ketheneth and pasim. The first word ketheneth means exactly what we have translated here. It means a coat, a tunic, or a robe. The second word, pasim, means ankles and or wrists. And so what these words together mean is a long-sleeved coat, tunic, or robe reaching down to the ankles. That's what these words suggest. Okay, a long sleeve tunic or robe reaching down to the ankles. And so rather than suggesting or speaking about this bright multicolored coats, Jacob makes for his son this, uh, this long robe, okay, if you like. Long sleeves, long hem. According to Butler, he says that these robes were sometimes brightly colored, as many colors suggest. But very often they were simply white, with some elegant embroidered trim in the appropriate places. And so the point is, it's not the colors of the coat that make it special. That's what I'm trying to get our attention away from. It's not the fact that it's a coat of many colors that makes it special. Okay? That idea we've got to put away. It's the fact that it's a coat 
that's long-sleeved and long-hemmed. That's what makes it special. You see, this coat is special because a long-sleeved tunic like this signified rank, position, and authority. This was the coat worn by noblemen. This was the coat worn by sons and daughters of kings. You go over with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is the only place outside of Genesis 37 where we find these same Hebrew words. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter 13. Verse 18, 2 Samuel 13, verse 18, it says, And she had a garment of divers colors upon her, for which such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. This is the story of Tamar, of course. Okay? It talks about her garment there, a garment of divers colors upon her. That's those same Hebrew words. And it's describing here the garment of the king's daughter. And it says that this is how the king's daughters were apparelled. And the king's sons were apparelled like this too. You see, it indicated their status. It indicated their privilege. It indicated that they didn't do manual labour. This garment that's given to Joseph here is the same. It's a garment of a ruler. A person in authority. A person of status. One commentator noted this. The coat indicated that the wearer had a rank of an overseer or master. It was not the coat of a common laborer. The common laborer wore a shorter coat, normally about knee length and sleeveless, which was more suitable for hard labor than was a long-sleeved ankle length coat. And so it put him in complete contrast to his brothers. Okay? It showed that he was selected for a position of rank, position of authority. It was a statement by Jacob unto the family, indicating to them that Joseph was to have a higher rank in the family than in any of his brothers. And it seems that this rank that he was pointing to is the fact that Joseph was to receive the birthright. He was saying, Joseph is going to receive the birthright from me. Now normally, of course, the birthright goes to the eldest son, doesn't it? Which, of course, in this case is Reuben. But Reuben's committed gross wickedness, hasn't he? He went in and he's had an incestuous relationship with Bilhar, and so he has disqualified himself. Reuben's wickedness has disqualified him from receiving the birthright, from receiving that double portion, having that position of honor, the privileges that went with it. He's forfeited it all by his wickedness. And this results in Joseph being given the honor of the birthright. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, we see that this is indeed the case. 1 Chronicles 5. First <clears throat> Chronicles 5, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Now the sons of Reuben, uh, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given under the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright, for Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. First Chronicle 5 makes it clear that the birthright was given to Joseph. Reuben, of course, was the firstborn of Leah. 
Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel, and so the birthright passes from one firstborn to the other, doesn't it? One firstborn to the other. One commentator wrote this, Because of Reuben's sin, the birthright was transferred from the firstborn of one to the firstborn of the other. The coat that Jacob made for Joseph designated that Joseph was to be the heir to the birthright. His brothers knew this, and it was the main reason they hated him and could not talk peaceably with him. This is the main reason they couldn't speak peaceably under him. This is the main reason they hated him, because they knew what the coat meant. They knew what the tunic meant. They knew that Jacob had chosen Joseph to receive the birthright. If you go to chapter 37, verse 4, now chapter where we are, we see the contempt that they had for him. Chapter 37, verse 4, it says, And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably under him. Here we see clearly, don't we, the contempt that Joseph's brothers felt for him as a result of this. Now, when the brothers saw that their father had preferred Joseph above them, when they saw that he was to receive the birthrights, they hated him. And the hatred towards Joseph was so strong that it says there at the end of the verse, they could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, Jamison writes that this phrase means that they could not say, Peace be to thee. The usual expression of good wishes among friends and acquaintances. It is deemed a sacred duty to give this form of salutation, and the withholding of it is an unmistakable sign of dislike or secret hostility. The habitual refusal of Joseph's brethren, therefore, to meet him with the salam showed how ill-disposed they were towards him. It really does show us just how much they hated him. They couldn't even say, peace be to thee. They couldn't even say hello. Couldn't even greet him in a friendly manner. You see, they showed complete contempt for their brother. And this hatred stemmed from the fact that they had been passed over and the birthright had been given to Joseph, their younger brother. You know, they no doubt felt it was completely unfair, completely unjustified, that they had all been skipped over and had been given to Joseph. He'd been singled out for this honour. You know, the choice of Joseph was not simply because he was the firstborn of Rachel, was it? The birthright was passed to him. Why? Because he was the son of his old age, as we saw earlier. He was a wise son. This is why Jacob chose him above his brothers. This is why he showed him preference and then gave him the coat, saying he's going to receive the birthright. This is why it's because of his wisdom, his godly character, as we discussed in the first point. See, Jacob was not going to give the birthright to someone of ungodly character, was he? He wasn't going to give it to someone who was living in wickedness and sin, which is what the other brothers were all doing. Jacob was going to give the birthright to someone who loved the Lord, someone who sought after the spiritual. You know, Jacob's oldest sons had demonstrated only a carnal attitude, hadn't they? They'd only demonstrated a carnal attitude by their life. And in effect, they had all disqualified themselves. You know, we, we read in particular of Simeon and Levi, we read in particular Reuben, but they've all disqualified themselves 
from the birthright. And so Jacob passes the honor, the rank, the birthright unto Joseph. The commentator Butler writes this, Jacob insisted on high character being the requirement for the rank the coat signified. So once again, Joseph's high character is being emphasized. Not only did Joseph gain Jacob's preference in love because of noble character, but he also gained Jacob's preference in rank because of noble character. You see, noble character is the motivation behind everything in this verse, isn't it? The love that Jacob had for him was because of his noble character. The rank he gave him was because of his noble character. You know what we see Jacob do here is exactly what God does with us. It's exactly what God does with us. Our God places great emphasis upon godly character when he's looking for someone to serve him, looking to, for someone to exalt to a position of honor and authority. God looks for people who have godly character, who fear him, who hate evil, who want to honor him. See, God's choice of servants for ministry are not random, are they? It's not random. It's based upon the heart of the person, isn't it? God's choice is based on the hearts. You know, if you remember, this is the, the reason that Jacob was chosen by God above his own brother Esau, wasn't it? Okay, I thought of it this week and I thought, you know, what Jacob does here with Joseph is exactly what God did with Jacob and Esau. It's exactly the same. Esau despised the spiritual, didn't he? Despised the spiritual. He had no desire for it. He lived for the carnal pleasures of life. And what did God do? God rejected him. Hebrews 12.16 describes Esau as a fornicator and a profane man. That was his character. A fornicator, a profane man. And so God said, you're rejected. I can't use you. I'm not going to give you the blessing. And because of the character of the two, Jacob and Esau, God saw their hearts. God knew their hearts. God rejected Esau and he chose Jacob, the man who sought the spiritual. As we've seen, as we've gone through Genesis, we've seen that Jacob was a man who constantly sought the spiritual. Yes, he went about it the wrong way at times, but he had a heart for God. Now Malachi 1, let's turn over there. We know this passage, but Malachi chapter 1 describes the choice that God made between Jacob and Esau and he describes it in the, in the, the terms of love. Malachi chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 2. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. My lady's mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. We see God's choice described in terms of love. God loved Jacob. God showed preference for Jacob. And he hated Esau by comparison. You see, God showed preference to Jacob. Why? Because Jacob was the one who sought the spiritual. And so God entrusted him with the birthright. God entrusted him with the blessing. God entrusted him with the covenant promises and rejected Esau. You see, this is God's way of dealing with man right throughout the Word of God, not just with Jacob and Esau. This is God's way of dealing with man. Now, for instance, we see the exact same thing again with God's rejection of King Saul, don't we? Now, God rejected King Saul and he chose David instead. Why? Because of King Saul's heart. 
God stripped him of the throne, stripped his family of the throne, of that rank, because of his carnality. You know, Saul had hardened his heart. He refused to deal with his sin, refused to acknowledge his sin, and so God rejected him, and God chose instead David, a man after his own heart. See, it's clear as we go through the Word of God that God blesses, God uses those whose hearts are right with Him. Those who, like Joseph, fear the Lord. And as a result, the spiritually wise, those who fear the Lord and hate evil, loving righteousness, that's Joseph. This is who God is looking for to serve Him. This is who God honors. This is who God exalts. Now, Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You see, God is looking at the heart. Joseph's brothers, their hearts were not right before God. They were not right before God. And it's therefore no surprise that they were rejected, no surprise that they were passed over. Joseph, on the other hand, exhibited godly wisdom, godly character, and he therefore was exalted by his father. You know, the challenge for each of us today is to ask ourselves the question, are we someone that our heavenly father can use? You know, do we fear the Lord and hate evil? Do we love righteousness? Do we demonstrate a love for God above all else? Beloved, are we someone the Lord can exalt and use to his glory? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, may we, Father, we thank you for your word once again this morning. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you for his godly character. And Lord, for the fact that because of this, his father showed preference. His father gave him the rank, the position of birthright. And Lord, we know that, Lord, that's how you deal with us as well as your children. You're looking for those whose hearts are right before you to exalt and to use in those positions and use to your glory. Lord, may you work in our hearts. May we humble ourselves before you. May, Lord, we seek righteousness. May we hate evil. May we fear you, Lord. May we be someone that you can use to your glory. Lord, bless as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.